You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. I'm Carol, a compulsive overeater. Very, very grateful to be here. Thank you, Mary Lou, for asking me, and um, uh, and thanks to the group for welcoming me so warmly. And I just want to say that I'm turning this um, talk over to God, over to the higher power, and trusting that whatever comes out is what's supposed to come out for tonight. <laughs> and the first thing I want to say beyond that is I want to welcome everyone here. You know, even if you don't feel like you belong here, you are welcome here. Um, if you, if, you know, no matter what, no matter what, you know, what kind of day you've had, what, what kind of life you've had, what kind of experience with food you've had, you're welcome at this meeting and in all meetings um, of OA and OA How. You're just welcome. And for me, um, it's really important to remember that I have the kind of brain, it's better now than it used to be, but I have the kind of brain that can make me different, separate, and not belonging no matter what group I'm part of. And it's really been a transformation to become part of a group and to feel comfortable and connected. Um, and it wasn't that way at the beginning for me. So um we talk about what we used to be like, what happened, what, what we are like now. Um, what I used to be like is that um, I, I feel like I started compulsively eating and obsessing about food when I was about four. Um, I can remember, <laughs> I'll just mention this story briefly. I was supposed to go to it for a kindergarten visit and I was sick the day you know, it was before kindergarten, I was sick the day um, I was supposed to go. The only thing that disappointed me about missing that was that I did not get to eat the dessert they were serving. <laughs> that was it. That was what I focused on at four. And it was, that was what it was like, you know, from the beginning, I was overweight as a kid, um, got heavier, you know, as time went on. And, um, and I was obsessed with my weight, um, the way my body looked, uh, what I ate, what I didn't eat. I was a successful in quotes dieter in the sense that I could stick to a diet. I could do it. But if I went one fraction of a fill in the blank off the diet, then I was off and running, you know, I, you know, it was totally black or white. It was never, you know, anything but that. And once I was off and running, I would gain the weight all back. And then, and then some, that was just, that was how it worked for me. And the, the truth of it for me was that I hated myself. 
You know, I just, I hated my body. I hated who I was. I didn't really know who I was, but what I thought I knew about myself, I hated. Um, I felt disconnected from people around me. I just didn't, I felt like I was not part of life. That's what I was, that's what I was like. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to go into detail about the kind of family that I came from, but um, because that's not what the cause of my compulsive eating is. Um, but the pain that came out of that family definitely had an impact on me. And one of the things that has happened for me over time is that as I've gotten to know myself, you know, and gotten to face that pain um, through working the steps, you know, through working with others, using the tools, um, growing close to the higher power, um, it, I have come to release some of that pain, a lot of that pain, maybe most or all of that pain. And that is, that's a miracle beyond reckoning. I mean, it's just incredible to me. So I was, I was depressed. I was overweight. I was, I felt lonely, even in a crowd. Um, it just, you know, the list could go on and on. What happened for me was um, it, there are two, like two angels uh, that sort of brought me to my first meeting. The first one was I was working as a waitress. I was going to school at Humboldt State up in far Northern California, working as a waitress. I dropped out of school. And um, and one of my colleagues said, oh, oh, I, I really need to go to a meeting tonight. And I said, well, what kind of meeting do you have to go to? And she said, oh, I have to go to an OA meeting. And I said, what's, what's an OA meeting? She said, Overeaters Anonymous. And something, it just went like, you know, like, oh, that's me, because I, I knew I had a problem with food. And um, but the, she she said that I heard that it took me seven more years to actually show up at a meeting. <laughs> but but I did hear it. And that's part of carrying the message, I think, is we don't ever know when the seed is going to be when the seed we've planted by sharing our story is going to sprout. We just have no idea. That woman, I, I have no idea how to reach her today. She has no idea I ever came to a meeting, but her mentioning that was the first tiny spiritual awakening for me. And then the second thing that happened that brought me to my first meeting, and my sister has given me permission to share this, is that my youngest sister was um, struggling with anorexia. She was hospitalized. And as part of her treatment, she went to meetings and she asked me and the rest of my family to come with her to a meeting. And I had held out hope for those seven years, right? Like, oh, this could be it. This could be it. That first meeting, I hated it. I hated it. I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with it. It was in Hollywood. And it was very theatrical. It was a big room with 150 people. And, you know, people would go up to the microphone and they would grab the microphone and they would tell their story. And it's like, oh, man, this is not this is not what I thought it was. Um, and I just, you know, the rest of my family came out saying, wow, I want to be abstinent now. I was like, I want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what I, that was what my, my response to it was. But luckily my sister sent me a big book and I read the big book and I thought, oh, this sounds just like me. You know, I translated, you know, the alcohol to food is behavior thinking. It was just like me. 
And so I went to my second meeting and my second meeting was like this one in that it was so warm and so welcoming and so just, oh, I mean, I could just feel the recovery and the welcome in the room. I, I felt completely at home and I've been coming back ever since. So when and there's a newcomer at the meeting, I would say, you know, if this meeting isn't the right match for you, don't give up you know, keep looking, you know, keep trying, keep trying. For me, it was that second meeting that did it. For other people, it happens immediately or some, it takes longer, but there are lots of different meetings with lots of different personalities and it's really worth, you know, exploring um, and finding one that fits well. And that's been my experience since. And I got abstinent in um, OA in North Carolina that's where I was. I now live in Claremont, California. And, um, and I, you know, I have a home meeting that is actually on the phone. I used to be a ranger in Yosemite and there were no meetings anywhere, anywhere near me. And I knew that I had to have a meeting. And, um, and so I helped start a phone meeting. Um, it's been about 17 years ago now, so, and it's still going. And um, that's been a real gift in my recovery. It really, it kept me, it kept me in recovery to be able to meet on the phone. Now phones are old fashioned at the, at the time it was like a big, Ooh, phone meeting. Nobody does that, you know, but now it's like, Oh, that's old hat. <laughs> now we're on zoom. So that's what what I used to be like and what happened, you know, the, the, the start of what happened. The continuation of that, what happened for me is that um, I, in my home meeting, when I first came in, um, people talked about being sponsored and they talked about working the steps. And so I got a sponsor and um, she helped me through the steps. And, um, and that transformed my life to work the steps with a sponsor, just transformed my life. Um, and what the first, um, experience, you know, I, 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 um, you know, connected with the first three steps, but what I remember is the most potent first experience was after I did the fourth step, doing the fifth step with another human being. And I, <laughs> I'll just tell myself a little bit. My sponsor at the time was this lovely, genteel, Southern older woman. And I had sexual things on my four-step that I did not want to share with a lovely, genteel, older Southern woman. And so I, you know, I asked someone else to listen to my, my four-step and that person then became my sponsor. But um, when we did the fifth step together, I'd never talked honestly with anyone about anything. And even though my first four step was honestly pretty perfunctory, it was the best I could do, but it was, you know, it was pretty much on the surface except for one big thing. And that was a sexual thing. Um, uh, but releasing that to another person was, it just transformed me. I woke up the next morning after that experience and I felt like for the first time I could see the sunlight shining in the window. For the first time, I, I felt like this sense of lightness, like this huge burden had been lifted from me. It was just amazing to me because I didn't know I'd been carrying the burden. You know, no, I was a Carol. Oh, thank you, Mary Lou. And I, I wasn't aware that I'd been carrying the burden all those years, but I certainly had been since I was four. You know, and by the time I did that, 
four step, I was 20, 26. And so for, you know, 22 years, no, I hadn't been carrying the sexual burden that long. Don't get me wrong, but the, all the other, the other things that I'd been struggling with, I, I had carried for a long time, the isolation, the aloneness, the shame, the self-hatred. And a lot of that was released, you know, in that first fifth step. Now, I people have different views about the steps and how to work them. I, I feel like the only way to work them wrong is to just not work them. Any way that we work them, they will help us in my experience. And my way of working them is to cycle through them. I, I go through the steps. When I sponsor someone, I basically work the steps again. I learn again. I do it again. Um, and that has really helped me. So I've been through the steps a number of times and it just is a gift. Some, uh, some folks think that, you know, 10 and 11 and 12 encapsulate everything. Doesn't matter to me how anybody else does it. You know, I just do what works for me and, um, and what I've been taught to do, you know, and I had a, an early sponsor said, you know, this, this program is a lot of trial and error. And the important thing is to be honest about the trials and to be honest about the errors. And um, and so that's really helpful to me. You know, I, I get to try and make mistakes. I get to find what works. That same sponsor said the most important measure of, um, you know, whatever you're doing is it does it work? You know, does it work? And for me, that means, am I staying abstinent? Am I staying relatively, you know, peaceful? Am I staying kind and loving? Am I staying of service? If I'm doing those things, then what I'm doing is, is working. Um, am I staying in, in contact with the higher power? And I, I just want to spend um, some time on the, the higher power. Um, I feel like I, I don't really, you know, it says God as we understand him. I don't understand the higher power. I, I don't understand what that is, really. It's way too big for me to get it. Um, and I don't even know its true name. You know, I, I sometimes call it God. I sometimes call it the higher power. I sometimes call it love. Um, it, it, for me, its name doesn't matter so much as is it real and is it, am I connected with it? And is it able to help me stay abstinent? The higher power solves my problem. I cannot keep myself abstinent. I can't. I tried. You know, that's why I'm here because I can't do it by myself. And um, I get to do footwork, but God keeps me abstinent. That's that's God's job. It's way too big for me. I can't do it on my own. And um, And that's a real gift and a real relief. You know, that's a relief to not feel because I used to think, why, why am I having a problem with food? Nobody else has a problem with food. You know, why, why is it so hard for me? Everybody else can do it. Um, and it doesn't matter why, why that's the way, but that's the way I can't do it by myself. I cannot, I've tried it. And the higher power for me grows and grows. And now I believe it's big and profound and more loving than I can ever imagine. And it solves my problem. So as I mentioned, I've been in program a long time. Um, I, um, you know, and I've I've lived a lot of places. I've had a lot of jobs. I've done a lot of things. Um, when I got here, as I mentioned, I was alone, felt alone. And um, when I was 10 years abstinent, I married a wonderful man and um, we are still married. And we just celebrated 20 
seven years. Is that right? Yeah, 27 years um, this month. And that's amazing to me. And um, and we we have a beautiful daughter. Um, part of my story is that our beautiful daughter passed away seven and a half years ago um, when I was almost 30 years abstinent, 30 years in recovery. Um, and I won't go into the details of what happened. I'll just say that it was tragic. It was sudden. It was unexpected. And I just was completely, my husband and I both were utterly devastated, just beyond, beyond devastated. There's no way to describe the kind of pain that that is unless you've experienced it. And I, I hope, I, I always wish that no one else had to go through that because it was, it was awful. And um, what happened for me, you know, what happened for me in that was that at some level, the habit of being abstinent kept me abstinent. You know, the habit of getting up and making my breakfast and making my lunch and making my dinner, you know, and eating the way that works for my body to eat that I've learned over these years. The habit of that carried me because I was out of my mind. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make a decision. Um, but the habit really helped. And, um, and what's completely underneath and on top and all around that habit is the higher power. The higher power carried me when I couldn't carry myself. And that higher power showed up with skin on. I had people bring meetings to my home because I couldn't bring myself to go out in the world. I, I had people listen to me when all I could do was cry. I had people listen to me when all I could do was rage. I had listened to people, you know, just, I mean, it just people in the program and friends outside too. Um, but people in the program really kept me safe. They held me physically. They held me spiritually. They kept me safe. And the higher power and that help kept me abstinent through what is the worst time of my life. You know, I didn't do it. I didn't do that. That's that's the higher power's work. That's the program's work. And um, one of the things that's come out of that for me is, you know, um, I mentioned at the beginning how alone I felt in the world, you know, when I, when I was still out there and when I first came in and the, the, I have never in my life experienced the, the intensity and level of pain, but I also in my life have never experienced the intensity and power of love in the same way as I did during that time. Just, I never have. And for me, that's part of the program. I didn't used to be able to really love because I was completely self-obsessed, you know, but we talk about love and service in the program. That's, you know, the 12th step. That's the fifth tradition. We carry the message to those who still suffer. And, and part of that message is we never have to eat compulsively again. And in part of my experience, that message is also love that we're loved 
that we're worthy, that we don't have to turn to food, you know, to, to solve our problems because it doesn't really, thank you, Mary Lou. You know, that's the, that's the lie of the disease, right? I, I don't know about you. I'll talk to my sponsees about pickup lines. You know, the disease is seductive and it uses pickup lines on me. And one of the pickup lines it uses is if you eat, you know, you'll feel better. You know, eating will make you feel better. And that's a lie. Might do that for 15 seconds, but it doesn't last. And um, and so we get to carry the message of recovery to those who still suffer. And that's that our our pain transformed, you know, our pain in the eating transformed to recovery is has the potential to save someone else's life. We get to do that with every meeting if we if we're able if we choose. And that's a miracle. And we are all miracles just being here. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. It's wonderful to meet all of you. If you've enjoyed listening to the Overeaters Anonymous podcast, hit the like button and subscribe to receive future episodes. If you are looking for a meeting online or in person, visit www.oamidpeninsula.org.